ESPN's Ryan Rucco and Keontae George in control. This is Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. Rookie rankings. Everyone's doing it right now. I assure you I will be talking rookies and, more importantly, about G League Ignite, SLC Stars, Kristen Peak. next podcast. But right now, it's about Keontae George. And him being unequivocally, not hyperbole, top 10 rookie in the league. He is all rookie at this moment, as deserved. He's the reason to watch the Jazz. You're listening to this podcast. You're a basketball sicko. I use that as a compliment. And Keontae is a basketball sicko. Talk to anyone in the organization. They will tell you after he plays basketball. He's thinking about basketball. When he's thinking about basketball, he'll watch basketball. He's leaning back on games that he's watched and processed and seen as a part of his development. Not everybody in the NBA goes home and watches hoops. But Keontae loves the game that much that that's the type of person you're getting. And that can contribute to his amazing start. The thing that really changed by playing Keontae, giving him the keys, is his unwillingness to get out of himself. He hasn't pushed the pace going 110 miles per hour. He's cruised in, he's played with poise, and he's ran the offense. You watch through his assists, it's a one-handed pass, gun, into John Collins down low against Memphis. He's advancing the ball. He's doing things on ball screen where... You could say he could get more aggressive and start shooting the ball more. When his shot comes, that's only going to add more to his arsenal. He hasn't shot the ball as amazingly as you would think he would. Those looking back at my draft profile of him, it says difficult shot maker, watch first half against Kansas, needs to work on decision making. He got opportunities to handle the offense against, I have, Kansas State, But his decision-making was something that I would have to keep an eye on. And I had that draft profile because I was doing the draft show for the Jazz, and I talked to Will Hardy on draft night about it. And this was not something that was brought up immediately. So to see how impressively he's gone out there, 9 assists, 1 turnover. 11 assists, 2 turnovers. 7 assists, 2 turnovers. He knows how to run the offense. And he's providing spacing in the offense. There's a clear benefit from Keontae George starting. And it goes to his backcourt mate. Think of these guys as pairs. And JC has been the benefit. Their chemistry is helped out. It creates more spacing for John Collins. Here, Will Hardy talking about the chemistry between Keontae and JC. Even though it hasn't been too long that he and Keontae have been playing together um, they definitely have a pretty good synergy on the floor I think Keontae's ability to get Jordan and Lowry um, in particular easy rhythm shots over the course of the game is super helpful for us Um, there are definitely some plays where Jordan makes things up out of thin air and that's no surprise to anybody sitting in this room Um, but there's also times where I felt like 
you know, we were able to get him the ball in space on time, um, especially early in the game. Like I felt like he got into a rhythm early in the game because he was able to, to get a couple of clean looks, which, you know, when you're a, a top offensive player on any team and a game plan is centered around stopping you, you know, Jordan and Lowry deal with that a lot. It's hard to find clean looks in a game. And so I think Keontae has helped both of them, um, you know, get a couple of clean looks each game. You know, we don't expect if Jordan takes 19 shots and Lowry takes 18 for them to get 10 clean looks. It just doesn't work that way. But if they can get four each in a game, it really helps them in the long run. And I think Keontae is a big part of that. Um, but both of those guys have shown, you know, incredible patience, both Jordan and Lowry. Um, they are both the leaders of our team. And uh, we look to them in in tough moments to sort of steady us both with their play, but also their demeanor. Jordan Clarkson needed it. He struggled to start, shooting in the 20s from three-point land. Now, that percentage is going up. He had to break out game against Portland. He's starting to find his own. And Keontae is starting to find his own. He's given all the indicators to keep that hype train rolling. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Ryan Rucco, ESPN, in the booth with Richard Jefferson, J.J. Redick. He's been on these in-season tournament games. He has this one tonight, and he's worked with Holly Rowe. So sharing Holly Rowe stories, talking jazz sons, enjoy him. He's Ryan Rucco of ESPN on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. So many good uh, Holly Rowe stories that I have because Holly is such a, a, a force of life and I've gotten to spend a lot of time with her over the last 11 years we've worked together now. Um, I think a couple that come to mind, well, first of all, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen, and it speaks to her dedication to the athletes that she covers, um, is when she was going through cancer treatments, watching her literally have a chemo treatment, then fly cross country to do a college football game, wake up the next morning, take the first flight out so she could make a day game in the WNBA finals, and then have to go back and do another cancer treatment afterwards. And it was just ridiculous. And we would try and tell her like, Holly, you don't need to do this. Like you don't need to be here. But she feels such a a duty to the different athletes that she covers to tell their stories. And she has never wanted to miss those opportunities because she feels an obligation and a responsibility to those student athletes or to those you know, young professional athletes to be able to properly share who they are and share their stories. And, you know, she to me is the greatest storyteller in the history of sports television and there literally was nothing that could keep her from telling those stories i think you know when i think about holly she also is she is not shy at all about speaking her different creative thoughts and opinions i always 
crack up at the thought of a, a boss at ESPN getting an email from Holly Rowe and being like, oh gosh, what is this going to be? Because Holly has always been willing to do that. And as a result, I think she has been as essential as anybody when it comes to the growth of women's sports, because she has not only been somebody who has told the stories over the air to help capture an audience and connect them to athletes and, and to teams, but she also has been an internal advocate like no other. I mean, she has fought over and over again to make sure that women in our company who, who are athletes are getting you know, the kind of time and attention that they deserve uh, to have their stories told. And so um, I think about that as a life force and also means she won't be denied, right? So just one little story is I know uh, before um, the final game uh, of 2021 in the WNBA playoffs 2021, um, the, the, or the final game of Sue, what we thought could be Sue Bird's final game. It was uh, Phoenix, Seattle, single elimination. And uh, they had, ba we had basically said like, look, Holly said, we should interview them both together, no matter what the result is. Like, obviously one of them's going to lose. They're playing against each other, but we, we should interview them because it's likely the last time they're ever going to play against each other. They're best friends, they're faces of the league, um, you know, titans of the, you know, entire sport. And uh, she was basically kind of told, like, we'll see, but I don't think so. Like, we have to go through PR. Like, no, we can't just do it. The game ends. Seattle loses. And we all think it's probably going to be Sue Bird's final game. And Holly, on her own, just grabs Sue, grabs Diana, brings them to center court. It's like, I don't care. I'm not asking PR. I'm doing this. She has an amazing relationship with both of them. And, of course, they said yes. They did the interview. It was this incredibly powerful emotional moment, and it actually sparked the one more year chance that then got Sue to come back and play another year. And it was all orchestrated by Holly Rowe. Um, and we, I'm an executive producer on uh, a Sue Bird documentary that will be coming out in the coming months uh, called Sue Bird in the Clutch. And our whole doc starts with that moment created by the unstoppable force that is Holly Rowe. So, I mean, these are just a couple little stories. I could talk about her, you know, hopping into bathtubs in different colleagues' rooms, fully clothed and taking <laughs> Prosecco in there. Like she, she's hilarious. Like she is always the life of the party. Um, and she's as good at her job as anybody I've ever seen at any job. That WNBA Finals was also the first year that she joined the Jazz on on these broadcasts, and she came from a WNBA Finals game to media day for the Jazz. <laughs> and you know from working with the Nets, that's a long day. Yeah. And I'm amazed by the energy she has for all that she does, especially now during college football season, during college basketball season, women's and men's for her. Yeah. Yeah. On top of ending WNBA, she still has energy for all. I know. It's it's insane. We actually we've been encouraging her for a long time to be a little more judicious with what she chooses to do. Like she was going to we were in the middle, I think, of the WNBA finals and she was talking about was it W finals? I think it was W finals. How she was leaving to go do a jazz preseason game before she was then going to be going to do college football to come back to the W Finals. And we were like, Holly, you just, I already told them I'd do it. Tell, untell them. Tell, yes. tell them 
you're going to miss the preseason game. It's okay. Like you, you're, you don't need to be there, but she's just, she's one of one man. And I have learned so much from her about this business and telling stories and, um, relationships with athletes. It's so funny, whether it's, you know, talking about, uh, Kalia Copper as, as a, a youth baller in Philadelphia or Lindsay Whalen as a hockey goalie or, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other specifics or uh, Asia Wilson as a ballet dancer, as a little girl, Holly has the numbers of everybody's parents. And she always has those childhood pictures in her phone. Like she has basically a yearbook in her phone of every player she's ever covered. It's unbelievable. And, and it's because I think also the athlete she covers not only respect her, but trust her and know she's the right person to tell their stories. And so they're willing to, uh, to always share maybe pieces of themselves that they otherwise would be a little more reticent to. I also didn't think I could get more impressed by Holly, but she always surpasses it. The W finals this year when she's doing those walk and talks with oh, uh, JJ, I, I had no idea she could navigate through yeah. the arenas while also uh, delivering an interview before halftime. She's amazing, man. And, and you know, like if you ever watch our WNBA draft, she does this thing where she in the beginning where she works the room and she like stops at every table and like it's it's insane like how how good she is at it. Um and and especially like that draft comes like right after we get done with the final four. And when you get done with the final four, you feel like you need to just like take a month off, honestly. None of us can, but like that's how exhausted you are at the end of that event. Because it's it's unbelievable to broadcast, but it's also just draining, and uh, and yet she has it in her to to pull off this incredibly difficult um, draft show, and specifically that opening scene where she's hopping around uh, to all to all these different tables. It's impressive. Well, she threw you under the bus because she told me a story of first meeting you, and said you had pitch perfect in your backpack. <laughs> yeah. What when? <laughs> DVDs were a thing and she was just starting to get to know you. She said, yeah, Ryan had a, a DVD of Pitch Perfect as the movie yeah. that he watched on planes. Well, she's right. And what's funny is she had said like, oh, I've never seen Pitch Perfect. Like, I I really need to see it. We were just like talking about the movie and I literally was like, oh, hold on one second. And I pulled the DVD out of my backpack and she just starts cracking up. She's like, what? You just carry this on you? And I was like, yeah, because I always like I call them comfort food movies. Like I like to put on something I'm familiar with and know in the background as I do prep. Because um, if it's like sometimes I'll put a game on in the background of a you know recent matchup of a team I'm covering. But usually I want to like be locked in when I'm doing that. So, you know, if you're doing you're just like, you know, you're you're notes and numbers and kind of filling out your game boards like I have in front of me right here for tonight's game. Um, like I want something in the background that kind of like keeps me comfortable, but it, I don't need my full attention on. So before Delta had the wide array of uh, in-flight movies they have or before everything was digital, I used to bring my little like portable DVD player. I plug it into my laptop and pitch perfect. If it wasn't a Harry Potter or a Star Wars, it was pitch perfect. Yeah. The Bellas amazingly didn't make it on one of your boards. I'm surprised. Yeah, that's right. Someday. Now let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. 
They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. I think the the most important thing about the returns has been the buy-in from the players. Um, you know, the I think really Bones Highland is the only player I've heard say anything negative about it. Uh, you've heard Steph and Dame uh, really um, be clear about the value they see uh, in this tournament, um, how it's not a difficult concept to grasp. Um, and uh, And I think especially now, as we get to the time where Teams could start to be eliminated from the possibility of going to the knockout rounds where teams can clinch going to the knockout rounds. And then once we get into the quarterfinals and beyond, I think they're going to be really fun, intense games. And for me, the key is that they all count as regular season games to begin with, right? So it's just adding a little juice on top of something we already were invested in, the players were already invested in. And I think that was a really smart move by the NBA. Um, I think the courts adds a different feel to it a big feel it kind of lets you know visually that something's going on here and for me it has been nothing but positive thus far i think we're also going to have it's going to be interesting when point differential plays a role in the final week especially and you know next week trying to see okay could this team get into the you know knockout rounds or not and i think for some teams too like let's take the jazz for example you know are the Jazz going to the playoffs this year, season? Probably not. You know, like they could have a chance at the at a play in, but like you know, they're more likely than not to. That's not necessarily the timeline they're on, right? And but like you want to have some shared, common competitive experiences with some guys who are potentially going to be a part of the ascent for this organization, right? So whether that's you know, Keontae George, or that's Jordan Clarkson, who maybe is just going to, you know, settle here for the rest of his career the way, you know, he's fit in so nicely. Or it's if John Collins is a piece of the future, or if it's Lowry Markinen, um, obviously I'd say Walker Kessler, if he was healthy. Uh, Abaji, if he's, you know, he obviously would be a guy who's who would factor into the future of the team. Like, the, the in-season tournament is a chance for them to have that experience, even if the playoffs aren't, right? Like, Utah's 2-0 and in the in-season tournament. They win tonight. They have an outstanding chance to go to the knockout rounds. And I think there's a value then for these guys to feel what it's like to be in a knockout game um, and to have that experience and a collective competitive experience like that. So um, I think it offers an opportunity to to teams that maybe otherwise won't get it. Uh, and then I also think it was interesting hearing Dame the other day talk about how there's guys on his team who you know, that financial prize is like not to make everything about money, but that financial prize is life changing for them, you know, and um, and look, no matter how much money you make, and I've seen it for years when it comes to baseball postseason money pools, you know, and, and the share postseason shares you get, even the guy getting 30 million a year, he likes that, you know, $550,000 check after winning the World Series, you know, and wants that full postseason share. 
And I think for those guys who are making the league minimum or rookies or whatever, you know, there's real incentive there, but there is also for the guys who are making a lot. So uh, that's another added reason that they're, the players are into it. But I think when we see the knockout rounds in, I think you're going to see like a real turn up for sure. They've done this right in making the, the days specific to in-season tournaments. Yeah. So it's less confusing. I know Tuesday, Friday, these are in-season tournament games. The yeah. the court is also the signal. These are in-season tournament games. And because it's the NBA, it's going to be flexible. There are going to be different things added, I'm sure, when you come down to future years of this yeah. thing. This is the trial run of it. And once we get to Vegas, I guarantee there will be some competitive basketball there that's you could compare to some playoff level intensity yeah i agree no doubt i think um especially right those final four games i because it's going to feel like an event you know it's going to yeah. be a it's going to be a destination for everybody from the league um there's going to be a real vibe to it and that that those semifinals and championship game will 100 percent feel like a playoff type atmosphere especially because you know, we don't have one of your done games other than the play-in, right? Or if you get to a game seven. But how many series get to a game seven? So to create an atmosphere where it is one and you're done, I think is a unique opportunity for these guys as competitors. And there is just a different energy to those kind of games than there is, say, game three of a seven-game series. Looking at the Jazz and approaching them from a national perspective as you do with ESPN... What leads the story with this team as they're in year two of new faces and a transition period for the franchise? Well, I think, you know, the number one thing that would lead would definitely be Lowry and uh, and the way he's played. You know, the fact that he's backing up what he did last season with a with a season that is very much in line with the production he had last year. I mean, this year he's shooting even better and, and more of his... As you know, more of his production is coming from the three-point line this season. Um, and I think, like, you know, last year we saw him and we said, okay, you know, guy's an all-star and uh, and looks like he could be part of a solution for the future of this franchise. Let's see him back it up. And this year, he's backed it up. So now do we start looking at him as could he be uh, part of a top two for a, a team that's eventually a contender? Right. Like, could he could he be the second best player on a on a team that's a true contender down the road? I, I think, you know, reintroducing him to our audience and letting them know just how good this guy is and how good he's become. Um, that's a priority for us. I also think Will Hardy is a big story, you know, like just the fact that, you know, he it's interesting when you see a guy as young as he is and he just seems to have such a such a humanity about him. And I think. He has this calm intelligence that draws you in. And I I think he's his own star in that way. Um, you know, much the way that, you know, when you see these young coaches and they just feels like they have that kind of command, uh, there's an appeal and they're their own star. And I definitely feel that way with with Will Hardy. And I'm looking forward again to talk with him later tonight. Um and, and get to spend a little more time with him. But uh, I think that that, for me, would kind of be the second thing to detail because here's a guy who is very much also thought to be part of the answer 
of this next wave of jazz basketball that we know is coming. And this is a proud franchise that's had a lot of success and has an incredible following um, in a in a state and a city that for me as a New Yorker, I always tell people, I'm like, Salt Lake City is a very underrated place. Like Utah is a very underrated place. Now, people here obviously know how beautiful and wonderful it is. But if you're from the East Coast, you don't usually pay mind, right, to a place like Salt Lake City, Utah. It's all, it's a distant land. Um, it's not coastal, but it's a great place. And uh, and these fans are great. And so I think, um, I think having Lowry as part of the foundation and then having Will as the leader of the foundation are, are two big stories for us. It's a good point about the fans because I think to the in-season tournament, how it gives juice for other markets, regular season games. Mm-hmm. Here, you don't need it. Every, yeah. Game 16 is the same as a playoff game in late April for this franchise. This place is full, people care, and having that energy in other arenas, I think only helps build yeah. this game. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. I couldn't agree more. It's uh, there'll be tonight, like when you turn it on and you want to feel like, oh, it feels big. Well, because it's in Utah, it'll feel big because every every game here has that kind of feel to it. So, um, so no doubt, man. Same page, and uh, and I'm excited. You know, it, if the Jazz were zero two right now in the in season tournament, maybe, you know, we'd be like, okay, you know, it means something to Phoenix, but you know. When it comes to the end season tournament, this game means something to both teams. You know, Phoenix is only 0-1. You know, this is just their second game. They still very much have, you know, fade in their hands when it comes to how they perform the rest of the end season tournament. And the Jazz, they win tonight. They have an outstanding chance to to advance. So uh, I think that adds a, a, a little juice. Seeing Kevin Durant in Brooklyn and now seeing him in Phoenix – changing the fortunes of with the Suns with all the names that they brought in. You know, I will forever be grateful for the time I got to watch him in Brooklyn because as much as we get to know players calling as many national games as we do, there always is a difference when you watch someone every day. There just is. Um, and I felt like I really got to appreciate just what an incredible basketball player Kevin Durant is. And the consistency of his work, the the fervor which he plays with, the way he just truly has basketball in his soul. I loved getting to witness that firsthand. And there were so many times calling games uh, of Kevin's and sitting there courtside and watching him and where I would just like laugh to myself at how good he is. Like I literally just be like, this is ridiculous. Like, and and it wasn't just you know, the difficult shots he hits. It was, you know, the way he made the right basketball play. Like so many times last year, especially, um, you know, when let's say Kyrie is out and they're sending two to Kevin and he's just constantly making the right basketball play. And he made everyone around him better because of that. You know, like I, that's why I actually thought it would have been interesting to see him stay with the other guys that the Nets had gotten in because like him as a hub with shooting around him would have been interesting to me. You know, obviously there would have been no Bridges, no Johnson, but I, um, I, I, I just respect his game so much. Um, and I think, you know, the interesting thing is he hasn't really gotten to experience 
a lot of the reason of why Phoenix was a, a draw to him, right? Like he he hasn't really gotten to play as much with that top end talent as we thought he would have last year. His own injuries uh, at the end of the season, and then uh, and then this year, whether it's been Beal or Booker, you know they haven't been able to get those three together. So I'm still very curious what it looks like once they're healthy, because the one thing we know about Kevin Durant is he is the easiest superstar to onboard and to immerse in any team he does not you know he doesn't he he doesn't need the ball like in his hands he doesn't he he can do whatever your offense needs him to do truly um and so i'm uh i'm really curious to see once bradley beals back is healthy what it looks like with the three of them but just booker and him are a pretty formidable duo themselves where do you think that team stacks up in a really good Western Conference? Well, I think Denver is the clear-cut best team. And if Denver is healthy, then they absolutely positively should be the favorites to come out of the West. I think there's a conversation that could be had whether or not they should be the favorite to beat Boston, but they should be the favorites to come out of the West. Um, and then I think with Phoenix they should be in competition to be that number two team in the West because there's, and then like, look, if Beal, Booker, and Durant are healthy in a playoff series, are you going to give them no chance? No, of course, you're going to give them a chance, right? Like we saw Booker and, and Durant were so historically good in games three and four last year against Denver that they actually tied up that series, even though the Nuggets were clearly a better team. So, you know, you add in a guy like Beal as well and you say anything's possible. Um, I... I think that, you know, Minnesota at their apex uh, will be a team to be reckoned with. And maybe they end up that number two team in the West. Obviously, Golden State trying to get fully healthy and aligned uh, with some new pieces, but also trying to figure out what the back end of their rotation looks like and where they can find reliability there. Uh, you know, possible that they end up that number two team in the West, but, you know, they haven't yet asserted themselves in that way. Um, obviously the Clippers have talent that would seem like it's possible, but that has a long ways to go. I probably would lean Phoenix, uh, with a, with strong consideration for, um, Golden State and Minnesota. Working with Richard Jefferson and JJ Redick, how have you found RJ and his love of just having the buttons three down from the top? How how low will it be tonight? Well, it will not be low tonight because because uh, he he does not get away with that uh, on our on our games. Uh, our our boss uh, Tim Corrigan, who is uh, amazing and uh, and just a, a great uh, he just he just has a great ear and eye for for TV and for the NBA um, and developing us. But he uh, he made very clear that Richard would have to wear a tie on our on our broadcast. <laughs> so. So Richard will be in a tie, but I love those guys. And I think, you know, the most genuine um, thing for us that hopefully we can bring on air is we are actually friends. You know, we're all friends. We're all around the same ages. You know, I'm, I turn 37 tomorrow. Richard is 43. JJ is 39. You know, we're all, we're all around the same age and, and, uh, and we really, we very much vibe off the court. Um, and I think it's a, it's a combination of um, not taking ourselves too seriously. Like they, 
they both are unbelievably sarcastic. That's not necessarily my humor, like how I try and be humorous, but I know them. And so I know when, you, you know, I know when they're being sarcastic and, and, and when they're not and how to have fun with that. And then they, even though they're sarcastic, they still have a lot of good nature and, and, you know, beautiful soul inside of them. So they know how to kind of play off of those parts of, uh, of me. If I want to be a, a, a little more soulful about something or even, a, a or even, um, not, not corny. I don't want to, I don't want to be corny, but if I want to, if I want to go the dad joke route, like they're going to come with me. Um, so I think, uh, and, and more importantly for the actual, um, X's and O's of things and the art of broadcasting, you know, we all want to be great and we have great respect for each other and we listen to feedback. And I think a lot of that is easy because we all believe in each other's talent and then we're friends. And so it makes it easy to kind of navigate all that. JJ's podcast is amazing. Richard, every time he's on NBA Today, is entertaining, going back and forth with Kendrick. It really, it's it's a good duo to be in a three-man booth with. Yeah, it is. Thank you, man. It's a, it's a, um, I feel very lucky that I have the relationship I do with those guys. They're so smart. They see the game so well. And what I love about them is they can do all the X's and O's. And they can also give the recent perspective, having spent time with a lot of the guys who are on the court right now. And then they also can do the humor piece as well as anybody. Um, but more important than that, and I think this comes through in our broadcast as well, is we all loved the NBA. We are NBA junkies. And uh, we love this league. We want it to succeed. We love supporting it and promoting it. And um, and we just love getting to sit there courtside and talk about it. So I think all those things lead to hopefully, uh, hopefully fun and fruitful broadcasts. And you working with Andrea Carter, she's phenomenal. She was great on, on the Combine this year, and now going on the scene, she's only a rising star that's also coming along. Yeah, she's she's amazing. She will be able to do whatever she wants in this business. Um, she works her tail off. She is always unbelievably prepared. I was I was got dinner with her um, last night, and. Uh, and uh, Matt or Holly from the NBA. And I was joking uh, with Matt. I said, like, I have never seen Drea stutter on a report ever. Like, she's just, she's flawless when delivering her content. And, um, and she really knows the game, you know? Like, so she knows how to storytell, but she also really knows how to get into some, like, nuance, X and O's, and, and, uh, and then, like, one thing people have only seen a little bit of, but that she very much can do, is host, too. Drea is an incredible host. So um, when I say she can really do anything in this business, I mean it. She can do anything she wants in this business. And I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot of Drea for a very long time. And I think that's a good thing for us at ESPN. And I think it's a good thing for viewers as well. He is calling Jazz Sons on ESPN. He is Ryan Rucco, joined us on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. If you see him and you listen to this podcast, throw a pitch-perfect line at him in the <laughs> crowd. Make sure he hears you. Ryan Rucco, thank you so much for taking the time. You got it, man. Thank you for having me.
popping off a lot, JP. 